Okay, so if you recall, um, I told you I was breaking this down into three different phases, and uh, Old Testament scriptures pointing to Jesus was one. We completed that. Um, and so now we're going to get into Jesus, um, or Old Testament scriptures that Jesus referred to in his uh, ministry as he went about uh, teaching people, his disciples, people that came to his, for lack of a better term, rallies uh, and whatnot. And then the third phase will be uh, Jesus as he uh, reveals himself or, or Jesus as the fulfillment of Old Testament scripture. Okay. And so I was going through this and uh, like I said, I'm kind of authoring this as we go along. Um, I decided that if I do this again, I'm changing the title of the class. It's going to be called Jesus and the Old Testament, basically because that's what we've been concentrating on, Jesus in the Old Testament. And so, <clears throat> a lot of times, yeah, <laughs> that, that was part of it. And, and part of it was to, uh, I'm not going to say it's more accurate, but it's probably more um, relatable yeah. by most people, yeah. Yeah. because uh, most people think of Jesus in the New Testament. They don't think of them in Old Testament terms. And so uh, to say Jesus in the Old Testament, you know, it seems like that would be more apropos. And so um, the content's the same. The goal is the same. <laughs> Everything would be the same except for the title. And so... Uh, and so we're going to get into Old Testament scriptures referenced by Jesus, you know, in his New Testament teachings. Okay. And so as we, go, as we go through, one of the things I came across in my research is that it um, was said that roughly uh, 10%, I think 180 scriptures out of 1,800 or something are Jesus referencing the Old Testament, something like 10% or something like that. And... Um, <clears throat> I thought that was interesting, you know, because, uh, you know, like I said before, a lot of times people kind of, in my opinion anyway, kind of neglect the Old Testament. <laughs> and, uh, and for sure we need to be attuned with and familiar with and steeped in the New Testament. There's no question about that. But that doesn't mean that has to be done at the expense of the Old Testament. And so um, it's my firm belief that if we do that, we are in fact missing out on very, very important um, concepts and important, uh, there, there would be gaps in knowledge, in my opinion. <clears throat> and so we have to have a, a, a total and a complete, as much as we can, uh, understanding of what's going on here. And so, you know, the Bible has many types and shadows and mysteries and whatnot. We've got enough of those things. We don't need to be creating more for ourselves because we don't perform our due diligence in, in going through what's in the, uh, what the Lord has decided is, is important for us to know, or else it wouldn't be in there. You know? <laughs> and so with that, um, and one of my uh, goals here is to, like I said, I don't like to just 
um, read the certain specific scripture that has the relatability. And so what I try to do is put all of these scriptures in context. So I will be reading, you know, uh, mainly uh, scripture prior to the one that, that we're going to be concentrating on, just to give an idea of what's going on and why these things were said at the time that they were said, as opposed to just, this is the scripture, if that makes any sense. Okay. <clears throat> so with that, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Let's see. And as before, there will be a lot of word tonight. <laughs> Deuteronomy chapter 8, it says in verse 1, Carefully follow every command I am giving you today, so that you may live and increase, and may enter and take possession of the land the Lord swore to your ancestors. Remember that the Lord your God led you on the entire journey these 40 years in the wilderness, so that he might humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you by letting you go hungry, and he gave, then he gave you manna to eat, which you and your ancestors had not known, so that you might learn that man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. <clears throat> Matthew 4. Verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And so Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and the Israelites wandered in the desert for 40 years. Then the tempter approached him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. But Jesus answered, it is written, man must not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so we see here that Jesus is referencing Deuteronomy, uh, basically saying the same thing. <clears throat> Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Verse 16, it says, do not test the Lord your God as you tested him at Massa. And so, <clears throat> sometimes I think we get into testing the Lord, but maybe not doing it consciously. Sometimes it's conscious, sometimes I don't think it's conscious. Um, is a test, or is it a test? If you get an inkling that you're supposed to do something, and then you uh, tell the Lord, show me a sign. Is that a test? I think it could be. I think it, it could be a sign of doubt and unbelief. You know. <laughs> You know, Lord, if you really want me to do this, confirm it for me. Show me a sign. 
that sounds very spiritual. <laughs> you know, but what it really says in some instances anyway, prove it to me, Lord. Prove it to me. <laughs> Do not test the Lord your God as you tested him at Massa. Matthew 4, verse 5. After Jesus told, you know, the enemy that man must not, uh, man uh, does not live by bread alone, but from every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, he says in verse 5, Then the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand in the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will give you his angels, he will give he will give his angels orders concerning you, and they will support you with their hands, so you will not uh, strike your foot against a stone. Jesus told him, it is also written, do not test the Lord your God. So we see here that uh, principles are carried through the cross. Sometimes I think we see some things in the Old Testament that we don't like. And we say, well, that was in the Old Testament. <laughs> you know, that's not in the New Testament, you know. And so we do those things to rationalize and justify why we don't do them. But we see that unless it's been explicitly nullified, like dietary laws, like Levitical dietary laws and, and whatnot, the, principle of God, the principles of God carry through. Do not test the Lord your God. That's a principle. Now, Jesus spoke it, so we can say, well, that's in the New Testament too, but there are other things that aren't explicitly in the New Testament. Yeah. <clears throat> Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 12. It says, do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. Let's see. 12, 13, yeah. Wait a minute. Nope. I'm sorry. Be careful not to forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Fear the Lord your God, worship him, and take your oaths in his name. And so let's go to Matthew 4, verse 8. So in verse 7, Jesus told him, it is also written, do not test the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, I will give you all these things if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus told him, go away, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now this is, as we know, for many people, this is a very difficult scripture to um, 
to agree with, if you will. Very easy to understand, but very difficult for a lot of people uh, to agree with because it sounds very exclusionary. That's because it is very exclusionary. <laughs> and folk don't like that. You know, some people want to have multiple ways to the kingdom. Some people want to have ways that they get to define. You know, and so you have some people that believe in other faith systems. That's one thing. But then you've got this other group of people that want to define their own thing and, uh, and be able to believe that they can uh, reach God uh, according to their own precepts and concepts and actions and, and whatnot. And so, you know, that's one of the, the things that get uh, launched at the church. You know, you guys are, you know, you're too, you're not, you're intolerable. You know, you're intolerable. You know, I'm not intolerable. The Lord is intolerable, you know. <laughs> you know, you know, it's not me, you know. It's not me. It's the Lord in his ways. He's the one that is defining this thing, not me. You know, my only response is whether to adhere to what he says or not. I don't get to define any of this stuff. You know, because, you know, truth be told, there's a lot of stuff in here I ain't crazy about. You know, but I didn't author it. <laughs> and so... uh you know, people get mad at other people and say, you, your issue is not with me. Your issue is with the word. It's not with me. Right. You know, that, that's your issue. You said you people are intolerable. You know, you don't know. It's not that we're intolerable. It's that we're trying to be obedient to what the word says. The word is intolerable. You know, you know uh, so he doesn't tolerate what he doesn't tolerate. It's as simple as that. He's got his reasons. And, uh, and it says, Go away, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Only. That's exclusionary. That is, that's the way, that, there's no other way to comprehend this. You can't, you can't massage it to mean something else. <clears throat> Then the devil left him and angels came to, to serve him. And so, you know, we see that that is uh, the way the Lord has it, and that's that. <laughs> All right. So uh, let's go to Exodus 20. I'm going to drop down to verse 13. This is when Moses is delivering the, the commandments to the people. You know, very, very short verse. Do not murder. I don't think they get much shorter than that. Let's go to Matthew 5, 21. So Jesus is, 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 is talking to the people, and he says, 
You have heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder. And whoever murders will be subject to judgment. So in the Old Testament, it just says, do not murder. Now, Jesus is going to fill in the blanks. <laughs> He's going to put more meat on the bone. He's going to flesh it out and give more detail. Because I know what you're thinking. He says, you're thinking murder as in, okay, if I don't murder anybody, then I'm cool. But Jesus is saying, no, you're not cool. Because he says, but I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. I mean, in the Sanhedrin, the, 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 the court of the church, you'll be subject to that. Whoever says you fool will be subject to hellfire. Goodness. <laughs> you know, you know, you know. And in, in the subtitle in my Bible says murder begins in the heart. And so Jesus is, he's, he's hammering the manifestations of the heart. So he's not just saying just, okay, you know, murder, take a gun, shoot somebody, stab them, strangle them. He says, no, 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 no. Murder happens way before then. That's just a manifestation of the disease that's in your chest. Can you imagine if you're sitting there listening to him saying this? <laughs> and you're like, and you got all these issues with different people <laughs> you know, around you. And here Jesus is like calling you out. <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, so he goes on. Say, so if you are offering your gift on the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. <clears throat> now I've got a, you know, confession, testimony, kind of to make something around here. Or it's in the same vein. Uh, but it's in um, 1 Corinthians, I believe, surrounding communion. And basically... To, to paraphrase what it says, it says, check yourself before you take communion. You know, if you don't take it with the right heart, you, will, you might fall asleep premature, prematurely. <laughs> and so, once or twice, I know once, and I'm not sure about the second time, when the, when the, uh, when the plate came to grab the... Um, the elements for communion in the sanctuary, I passed it. I didn't take it because I was angry with somebody in the congregation. I couldn't take it. You know, so Apostle Bob was, you know, giving the word before taking communion, and I just sat there because I did not want to not abide by the word. And my heart was not right, you know. But I got it right, because I went to that person, and I told them, you know, that uh, forgive me, you know, I've had this thing, and uh, 
I wasn't able to get past it in time for communion, but I was right the, the following month. <laughs> so, because to me, these things aren't rituals. Okay. To me, it's truth. And if it's truth, then I have to determine whether to abide by it or not. Okay. And so I believe the word. I believe that I would be setting myself up for negative consequences if I were to do things with the wrong heart. And the word has specifically warned me against doing that. You know, but I do it because it's a ritual. Everybody else is doing it. So, no. So we see here, murder starts in the heart. It's serious business, and because it starts in the heart, it's not apparent to other people. You know, but other people don't know. You know, and so, and because of that, it's probably the most difficult thing to deal with. You know, one of my things, uh, one of my passion issues uh, is the abortion issue because of what is done in the black community on several levels. However, I have a little, mis- a little bit of misgivings with regard to the pushes to overturn Roe versus Wade, and this is the reason why. I believe that if Roe versus Wade gets overturned, many in the church will sit back and celebrate. But the deed isn't done because it starts in the heart. What will happen is the people with the means will be able to go abroad and do things. The people without the means will go underground. And so the more difficult task is to deal with the hearts of people and to dry up the demand. If you dry up the demand, it doesn't matter if there's a supply. Right? And so we're attacking this from a legal perspective, which from my perspective is a top-down forced compliance. But it does not fix the problem because the problem is here. It's here. And so when I used to think of this, you know, I used to think of, uh, you know, teenage women getting in troubles, making bad decisions, this, that, and the other, and so on and so forth. But in working with the pregnancy center, reform that, you know, a lot of the women are married. They're married women who don't want to have any more kids, and so they're seeking the abortion solution as their contraceptive. That's what it boils down to, you know. And so my whole picture of who the target audience is was off. It was, the net wasn't wide enough, okay? And so, you know, when we get outside the four, four walls in the church and get out there, we, our eyes get open with regard to what is actually occurring in the field. You know, and so sometimes we get stuck with our, um, with our notions with regard to what's happened. And they, that may have been true 20 years ago, but that doesn't mean those same things exist today because these things, these sins and whatnot, the root is the same, but their manifestations morph. 
They morph with the times. They morph with technology. You know, and sometimes we don't keep updated on that morphing and how these things are manifesting in people's lives and so on and so forth. But the heart issues, which are the issues that Jesus is specifically dealing with, and he's the only one capable of dealing with those things. That's where our bullseye should be with regard to, to dealing with people and giving them the appropriate avenues so that they can have these things addressed in their lives. Unfortunately, that is the toughest and probably the slowest uh, action to take uh, when dealing with people. But it's the one that has eternal consequences. Everything else is a Band-Aid. Let's see, so we're in Matthew 5. Let's go to Exodus 20, chapter 14. Hey, Perry, I got a bottle of water if you, if you want it. Oh, okay. Yep. Exodus 20. Another very short verse. Do not commit adultery. <laughs> All right. That's pretty self-evident. But again, Jesus is going to expand this thing. <laughs> He's going to explode it. And it is very interesting. Matthew uh, chapter 5. Verse 27 in my Bible, the previous set of scriptures was murder begins in the heart. This one says adultery, what? Begins in the heart. <laughs> Verse 27, you have heard that it was said. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just trying to picture Jesus doing this. It's like he's dropping bombs on people, you know? <laughs> he says, oh, you, saw, you thought that one was bad? How about this one? You have heard that it was said. <laughs> Do not commit adultery. Can you hear you know, Jesus saying, yes, this is true. <laughs> However, <laughs> I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. <clears throat> I remember the first time I read this, I was like, seriously? You know, I was like, like, really, Jesus? Really? You know, I'm not doing anything. I'm not. You know? He says, no, no, no. That I. That I. He said, I'm not doing anything. I haven't said anything. You know, I'm keeping it cool on the exterior. I'm good. Is it? No, 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 no. No, 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 no. Boss, you got a problem. <laughs> you got a problem. <laughs> Verse 29, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. 
For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Whoa. 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 And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut that joker off. And throw it away, for it's better do you lose one uh, part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, of course, I believe that he's speaking metaphorically. <laughs> I would hope. <laughs> you know? But the, 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 illustrating the, uh, the grave nature, the seriousness of this transgression even though you have physically done nothing. And so, Jesus is saying, I am holding you accountable for your thoughts. But doesn't that right hand say something else? Like what? Oh, uh, I mean, all, all of it, <laughs> all of it is, all of it is, is, is fair game. All of it is, is, <laughs> you know, whatever, whatever it is you're doing, you know, and it's addressing men, but that doesn't exclude women doing the same thing, you know, <laughs> you know, and so. You know, to me, out of all the things in the word, this is one of the toughest words for me to to um, come to grips with. It's like, you know, Lord, I mean, I'm supposed to walk around, you know, <laughs> like this or, 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 or like that. I mean, how, how do... I mean, it's your fault, you know, because your creation is so beautiful. I can't help myself, you know. <laughs> and so, you know, you created these lovely creatures called females. And, you know, so it's difficult for me to, to come to grips with how, do, how does this work, you know, in real life? How do we walk this out? I mean... Man, oh man, oh man. Oh, you got that right. Yeah, and so, you know, so it's it's one of those manifestations of when we tell people that, you know, receive the free gift of God, salvation. You know, one of those things that's free but costs you everything. (laughs) You know, yeah, it's free. We don't. A lot of times we don't tell them the conditions, <laughs> you, know, you know, except this free gift. Uh, but you don't realize that your internal war is just beginning. It's just beginning. <clears throat> so to me, this is one of those wartime things with myself. You know, how, how do I walk this out? 
in a real way. You know, it's just me and you, Lord. I'm not doing this, you know, to try to show anybody else or whatever. Just, you know, how do I do this? How do we, how do, how do, we do this? Not me. How do we do this? <laughs> you know, because I need your hand in this. <clears throat> okay. Let's go to Hosea chapter 6. Going to go on verse 1. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, and he will heal us. He has wounded us, and he will bind up our wounds. He will revive us after two days, and on the third day he will raise us up so we can live in his presence. Let's strive to know the Lord. His appearance is, uh, is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us like the rain, like the spring showers, the water, the land. Like the spring showers that water the land. In verse 4. What am I going to do with you, Ephraim? What am I going to do with you, Judah? What am I going to do with you, Israel? What am I going to do with you, Judah? What am I going to do with you, my people? (laughs) Your love is like the morning mist and the early dew that vanishes. Dang. (laughs) This is why I have used the prophets to cut them down. I have killed them with the words from my mouth. My judgment strikes lightning, for I desire faithful love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. In another scripture, it says, I desire, you know, obedience is better than sacrifice. And so he's saying, for I desire faithful love, not sacrifice. See, the the Israelites were, um, they were used to doing whatever they wanted to do. And at the appointed time, they would bring their, you know, cows or or their sacrifices or whatever to the altar for the Levitical priests to offer sacrifices and whatnot to the Lord. And so Hosea is saying, look. That's there because of your first failing. You know, your first failing. Because you only make sacrifices to atone for sin. But I would rather that you not sin. Right? I would rather that this, this sacrificial system be unnecessary. This has just hit me. It was just, was like, I guess that's kind of what I was saying. I, would re- I wouldn't care about the Roe v. Wade thing being on the books if nobody was gone. It would, because it would be unnecessary, right? And so, so he's saying here, um, I desire faithful love, not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Since if you can't do what I prefer, then okay, I'm going to give you another way. But I prefer this way. <clears throat> Let's go to Matthew 9 9.
As Jesus went on, as Jesus went uh, on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me, and he got up and followed him. While he was reclining at the table in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came to eat with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now when he heard this, he said, is it not those who are well who needed is, is it not those who are well who need a doctor but those who are sick go and learn what it means i desire mercy not sacrifice for i didn't come to call the righteous but sinners and so the scribes the pharisees and the people of the day were very much like the people in Old Testament times. And so all they knew and all they could uh, get a grasp of is, is the scripture, is the word, you know, the law. That's the only thing that they could, could get a grasp of is the law. And so what Hosea was telling the people is the exact same thing that Jesus is telling the people. Understand what it means that I desire you know, love over sacrifice, that I desire mercy, not sacrifice. So again, this is a principle of the word. We see it carrying through. Hosea is a prophet prophesying to the people, <clears throat> telling them essentially the same thing that Jesus is telling. And Jesus is, is in a, he's, he's kind of saying, you know, didn't you guys read what Hosea said? You know, <laughs> didn't you? Because you have this word. Didn't you read what he said? Well, let me repeat it. This is what the deal is. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Because he's getting on the, the scribes and the Pharisees because they're always leaning, you know, on the law and whatnot. But they're missing other parts. And so Jesus is trying to fill it, uh, fill in the gaps for them. Saying, you know, you're, you're, you're you know, subscribing to all this stuff, but you're missing, you know, the, the, the heart behind this. See, you see a, a set, and a lot of people feel this way, a set of rules and regulations of the church. Don't do this. When you think of church, all they think of is don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. I can't do this, I can't do that, I can't do this, I can't do that. But a list of rules. We got the Ten Commandments and then, uh, you know, 986 more things <laughs> that I can't do. This, that, and other. And in concentrating on the list, you miss the heart behind the list. You miss the reason behind the list. See? So a parent tells, uh, teaches their child, don't stick your hand over the stove. A parent tells their child, don't leave your finger, or when, when I shut the door in the car, move your fingers. You know, don't stick your hand in the dog's mouth. You know, so a child from, don't do this, don't do that, don't, it's a bunch of rules. They're not seeing that those rules are there to protect you. It's about your well-being. And so sometimes... Uh, you know, I remember, I think, Linda, back in the, um, 
Growing Kids God's Way class. I think it was said there. I can't remember. I think it was said there. And I tried to do this when it comes to raising your kids. Don't just tell them what not to do, but give them the reason why. I don't want you to do this because if you do, you could get burned. If you do, you could lose a finger. If you do, you know. And sometimes the, the infamous parental response is, because I said so. <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and so then they start being obedient to what you say, but kids aren't stupid. And so they know the proper and expected behavior, but that doesn't reveal what's in their heart. <laughs> You know, you're essentially getting played by your kids because you're examining their behavior and deeming that their behavior is righteous and acceptable. You don't go any further to see what's actually in the heart. And then they get out from under the roof and you get surprised. So we see here that the Lord's desire Is, is, is not our sacrifices, you know. And, and sometimes, uh, you ever tried to buy your, your way back into the good graces of God? <laughs> you know, maybe give a little bit more money in the tithe. Maybe, you know, do something a little bit more, um, requiring more energy from you, more effort from you or whatever because you're trying to buy your way back into his good graces. I've been guilty of that. <laughs> I've been guilty of that. What's that? That's, that's me making a what? Sacrifice. Trying to cover up for my disobedience. All right? But we say here, and, and, and he's not saying that my sacrifice is not good. He's not saying that my sacrifice is not going to be acknowledged. He's saying that it's preferable that this sacrifice that you're making is not even necessary because you did the right thing from the jump. All right, let's go to Genesis chapter 2. Drop down to verse 20. God has created Adam, and he has created all of the animals. And in verse 20, it says, The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, and to every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. One of the things that... Uh, this really doesn't have anything to do with, with what I want to get at, but whenever I read this, it just reminds me that the namer has authority over the named. Okay. And so one of the things that I found out that I didn't know 
existed from an Indian friend of mine. You know, a lot of families have uh, arranged marriages in India. And as my wife and I have gotten older, we don't think that's such a bad idea. But, uh, <laughs> you know, when you're 20, 25, 30, that sounds ludicrous. But one of the things, he, he, he was working here at Ford Motor. She was over there. The families arranged the marriages. He went over there and got married. And one of his first duties was to name her. So he changed her name. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't. I didn't know that was. You know, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. So he gave her a name. So and she was just the most delightful person. And so we talked. He said, "What's your name?" She says, "Well, he changed my name to this, but my name was." You know, I was like, "Wow." <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know. <laughs> The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, and every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. No helper was found according to his kind. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man. He slept, uh, and he slept. God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh at that place. Then the Lord made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, let's see. And the man said, this one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. <laughs> this one at last. <laughs> so, so, so Adam is probably around all of these, you know, animals. <laughs> He's like, okay, you're a crocodile. You know, <laughs> you know, you know, you're an eagle. You know, you're this. I mean, just think of how many you know, animals we have. And he says, essentially, finally, at last. Is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she uh, was taken from man. This verse twenty-four. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. Okay. So let's go to Matthew. Excuse me, Mark, chapter ten. Verse 2, some Pharisees came to test him, asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He, being Jesus, replied to them, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted us to write divorce papers and send her away. <laughs> Moses permitted us to write a paper and kick her out, you know. But Jesus told them. He wrote this command for you because of the hardness of your hearts. <laughs> and so this must have been, this must have been a, um, a, a, a compromise solution. <laughs> you, know, says, you know, this is why he wrote it. This isn't what he wanted to do, but he, he threw you a bone. This is a, so, so, this is a, so the compromise is, you know, you can write a divorce uh, decree and kick her out. So I wonder what they wanted to do then, if that was a compromise. But in verse 6, it says, But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, and the two will become one flesh, so they are no longer one, uh, so that they are no longer two, but one flesh. 
Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. So as the Pharisees are making these queries, part of me thinks, okay, they're trying to stump Jesus. But then part of me thinks that they're trying to get him to ratify things that they want to do. You know, they're trying to get him to go along with, you know, when I get tired of this woman, what can I do with it? And Jesus comes back with what God has brought together. Let no man separate, not even you. You know, and so <laughs> tell my kids all the time. Character and nature of man doesn't change, only technology changes. And we see the stuff here that people are still trying to do today. <laughs> still trying to do today, still trying to, still trying to do it without any guilt, without any feeling of wrongdoing. You know, right. So I want to do this and I don't want to feel bad about it. You know, and so if you notice today, a lot of things that we're dealing with are grounded in and surrounded by people's feelings. They somehow they want to legislate making people feel bad. And if you get into that game, you know, I don't like the color yellow. And so if I see somebody with yellow, that makes me feel bad. So let's outlaw wearing yellow because I feel bad. You know, I mean, you can get ridiculous. You know, if we're to, yeah, there's, there's no question if you, you talk, and if, if we can't do it legally. Well, you know, in my opinion, you know, um, social media, quote, justice, unquote, is more damaging than legal consequences. You know, because people can take your livelihood, you know, because of social media justice, which is based on how people feel. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you make me feel bad. Right. And why is this? Let's examine this further. I'm off a little bit, but people get their sense of self-importance and self-esteem from other people. And so if other people do things that make me feel bad, then my self-esteem is taking a hit. That's because they've placed the, the root and the source of their self-esteem and self-importance in the wrong place. If people comprehended and understood the depth of the sacrifice and whatnot that Jesus went through and personalized it for them, for them, then you have to say, wait a minute, I was worth that? 
I was worth that pain, that anguish, that humiliation. That was done on my behalf. Then you get your worth from the Lord. Then you're not prisoner of getting your worth from man. Because when you're prisoner of getting your worth from man, then you're subject to how he makes you feel. You know, and so that's what that, 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 to me, this is one of the biggest problems that we face today. People are looking for their self-esteem, their self-esteem, their self-worth, their self-respect, all that stuff in the wrong direction. Because it causes you to do things that under other circumstances you'd never do. One of the most powerful aspects of a gang is that they provide a family atmosphere to those who are growing up without a family. And so they get grafted into that environment and they will do anything that the gang leadership commands them to do. They get their sense of importance, their sense of belonging, and their sense of all this stuff, which everybody needs, but they're getting it from the wrong place. And therefore, you become subject to serving that master. You know, Jesus said you cannot serve two men, both man and money, but you can say you can't serve man and God. Right? Because if you're serving man, you're going to seek to please man. And that's, I've seen that in the church. The church at large. You know, people trying to please other people in church for their own reasons. <clears throat> All right, let's see where we're to nine. Yeah, let's go to Deuteronomy six. Verse three. Listen, Israel, and be careful to follow them so that you may prosper and multiply greatly because the Lord the God of your ancestors has promised you a land flowing of milk and honey. So this is Moses giving out the, the law. And so he's saying, you know, Israel, be careful to follow them, the laws, so that you may prosper and multiply greatly because the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. Listen, Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Let's go to Mark chapter 12. Drop down to verse 28. One of the scribes approached, approached Jesus. When he heard them debating and saw that Jesus answered them well, he asked them, which command is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, listen, Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Verse 30, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. 
So Moses is, you know, dishing out a bunch of, you know, when you read through the Old Testament, I mean, they had a lot of, a lot of laws, you know. And so to me, it would be a valid question with regard to, okay, we've got all of these, but which, which one is primary? I mean, which, you know. And so in, 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 uh, in the O, it doesn't say, Moses isn't saying that this is the primary one, but he does use the same words, that love the Lord your God on, you know, with all your heart, all your strength, all your might. And Jesus is coming along and said, yeah, that one that he said, that one. That's the most important one. Okay. And uh, verse 31 says, the second is love your neighbor as yourself. There are no other commandments greater than these. Because really, if you boil down all of the commandments, if you boil down what Jesus is saying about certain things, you know, murder, adultery, whatever, if you, if you boil it all down, it is those two, you know. <laughs> you know, so it's not like you have to have a photographic memory and remember all of these different things. It really comes down to those two. Because if you do those two, then everything else will just, you know, if you, if you fertilize your lawn, it'll grow. And so these are just, those are byproducts of those two. These other things are byproducts of those two. That's why when, whenever you come across something that you're contemplating and the, the solutions aren't obviously revealing themselves, what I do is I ask myself, what is your motivation? You know, behind this one or behind this one? Because to me, that will reveal to me where my heart is on these two different avenues. And then the avenue becomes obvious. And usually it's not the one that I would prefer. You know? <laughs> You know, not all the time, but usually. I say 75, 80% of the time that's the case. You know. Then after that gets revealed, then it's, are you going to do it? <laughs> you, know. <laughs> you know, it's one thing to get revelation. You know, it's another thing to act on the revelation. You know what I mean? I, th I think there's a lot of revelation junkies out there. You know, ooh, never thought about it that way. That's a good word. Ooh, you know, so they get get high off of the revelation, but the behavior doesn't change. <laughs> you know, you know, you know, you got the revelation. But the thing is, once you get the revelation, now, you know, now you have a higher level of responsibility to responding to that revelation. So that means your judgment is going to be stricter. You know, 
because in some places in the Old Testament where you talk about you know, consequences of the prophet and this, that, and all that. I remember one time I was reading through the Word was a few years ago. I was like, I don't want no more revelation. <laughs> you know, because you know, you know, it, it seems like I'm digging my own grave here. You know, you know in, in the court system, there are judges that are known for various things. You never want to go before judge so-and-so with a so-and-so, you know. And so it's, it's almost like, you know, the more revelation we get or we pursue, it's like we're pursuing the stricter judge. <laughs> you know, and so, uh, so ignorance of the law is not an excuse, but it does play a part in the severity of the verdict. You're still guilty, but you might get a little bit of leniency in the verdict, you know, based on what you knew and what your responsibilities were. The more you know, the higher responsibilities, the less leniency you get. But on the good side, the greater the potential reward if you don't succumb to not doing what you're supposed to do. So the, the, the Lord is fair. He's fair. He's saying, look, you have the potential to have this reward. You know, you've, you, you've been given this, this, and this, and this. You have this revelation and whatnot. You, you know, you have the potential to get this reward, but you also have the potential to get this punishment. You know, but the decision is ours. Throw, throw the Lord's word by it. But Lord, didn't you say you desire mercy or the sacrifice? <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know. And so yeah, give me mercy when uh, when you're judging me. <laughs> All right. Let's see. Let's go to Isaiah 29. Verse 9. So stop being astonished. Blind yourselves and be blind. Huh? Stop being astonished. Blind yourselves and be blind. They are drunk, but not with wine. They stagger, but not with beer. For the Lord has poured out on you an overwhelming urge to sleep. He has shut your eyes, talking about the prophets, and covered your uh, heads, talking about the seers, so the prophets cannot see, uh, excuse me, the prophets yeah, cannot see, and the seers can't see. And it says in verse 11, for you, uh, for you, the entire vision will be like the words of a sealed document. If it is given to one who can read and he is asked to read it, he will say, I can't read it because it is sealed. In verse 12, and if the document is given to one who cannot read and he asks to read it, he will say, I can't read. The Lord said, these people approach me with their speeches to honor me with their lip service. 
yet their hearts are far from me, and human rules direct their worship of me. That's a scathing accusation. You know, this is these people, they give me lip service. They know the words to the song, but they're just they're just mouthing stuff. They know the words to the song, but their hearts, they're not in their hearts aren't in the lyrics. They're just words. And human rules, when the choir director says this, or you do the human rules are dictating their worship of me. Let's go to Matthew 15. Verse 1, then Jesus approached by uh, Pharisees and scribes from Jerusalem who asked, why do your disciples break tradition of the elders, for they don't wash their hands when they eat? He answered them, Why do you break God's commandments because of, uh, because of, you, uh, because of your tradition? <clears throat> for God said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever speaks evil of, fa of father or mother must be put to death. But you say, whoever tells his father or mother, whatever benefit you might have received from me is a gift committed, a gift committed to the temple. He does not have to honor his father. In this way, you have nullified the word of God because of your tradition, because of your greediness. <laughs> you know, so, so, you know, Jesus is telling them, look, this is what the word says. You know, this is what my father says. My father and I are one. This is what I say. <clears throat> Honor your father and mother. He says, the word says, whoever speaks of evil of his father or mother must be put to death. And Jesus says, but you say, well, you know, if you give to the church <laughs> what is meant to be for your father and mother, for them to survive and live off of, if you instead donate that to the church, you good. So Jesus is calling them out. Verse 7, it says, hypocrites. Isaiah prophesied correctly about you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines human commands. So he said, look. You're changing, changing all this stuff, but you got this word, that Isaiah cat, that Isaiah prophet. Go back and look at what he said. You're doing the same thing. You're honoring me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. I just gave you an example. You, know, you nullified honor your father and mother because you said, well, if you give a gift that's meant for them to the temple, then you're good. Let's go to Isaiah 56. 
Verse 3. It says, No foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord should say, The Lord will exclude me from his people. And the eunuch should not say, Look, I am a dried up tree. <laughs> that makes me laugh. <laughs> For the Lord says this, for the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath and choose what pleases me and hold me firmly to my um, to my covenant and hold firmly to my covenant, I will give them in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than the sons and daughters. I will give each of them an everlasting name that will never be cut off. As for the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to become his servants. All who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and, and um, who hold firmly to my covenant, I will bring them to my holy mountain and let them rejoice in my house of prayer. The burnt offerings and the sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. So here we have Isaiah prophesying to the Israelites. You know, that this thing that we call the kingdom of God is not just for you. Yep. So don't, 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 don't get yourself in a position in a place of pride. Mm -hmm. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Let's go to Luke 19. Drop down to verse 45. He went into the temple and began to throw out those who were selling. And he said, it is written. What is written? My house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And so <clears throat> they were desecrating uh, the temple by selling things inside the, uh, the temple. And so uh, Jesus is reiterating what Isaiah said. You, you missed what Isaiah said, what this is about. You think you can do anything here, but you can't. Because this is the purpose. This is the purpose of this place. My house will be a house of prayer for all nations. Let's go to Genesis 4. Drop down to verse 8. Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper or am I my brother's guardian? Yeah, the let's show you how people can cherry pick the word. Okay. In some gangs, this scripture right here, am I my brother's keeper? 
is used to basically create bonds between the gang members and into convincing one another to do nefarious things. You know. I don't know, Cain said, am I my brother's guardian? <clears throat> then he said, what have you done? Your brother's blood cries out, uh, cries out to me from the ground. This is God saying, what have you done, Cain? His blood is crying out from the ground. Go to 2 Chronicles, chapter 24. Drop down to verse 17. It says, however, Jehoiada died, King Jehoiada died. The rulers of Judah came and paid homage to the king. Then the king listened to them, and they abandoned uh, the temple of the Lord, the God of their ancestors, and served their sheriffs and the idols. So there was wrath against Judah and Jerusalem for this guilt of theirs. Nevertheless, he sent them prophets, he being the Lord, sent them prophets uh, to bring them back to the Lord. They admonished them, but the people would not listen. Verse 20, the spirit of the Lord enveloped Zechariah, son of Jehoiada, the priest, and stood above the people and said to them, this is what God says. Why are you transgressing the Lord's commands so that you um, do not prosper? Because you have abandoned the Lord, he has abandoned you. Verse 21, but they conspired against him and stoned him at the king's command in the courtyard of the Lord's temple. Now, so I'm tying these two scriptures together with regard to what happened to, to Abel and here what happened to Zechariah. Uh, but but I, when I was reading this, I, I thought this was interesting because this reminded me of Stephen. Yeah. <clears throat> and so we see here, Zechariah, he stood above the people and said to them, he stood above the people and started chastising them. Yeah. <laughs> says, this is what God says. Why are you transgressing the Lord's commands? So that you do not prosper. Why are you doing these stupid things so that you don't prosper? Because you have abandoned the Lord, he has abandoned you. This is, he, he's standing up in the middle of these people telling them this. What was Stephen doing? Same thing. He's doing the same thing. But they conspired against him and stoned him, stoned him at the uh, king's command in the courtyard of the Lord's temple. All right, let's go to Luke 11. We're going to drop down to verse 47. Jesus is saying, Woe to you! <laughs> Woe to you, you people! You build tombs for the prophets, and your fathers killed them. So Jesus said, Look, you build tombs for the people that your ancestors killed. 
In other words, he's saying, you're, you're trying to honor the people that your ancestors murdered. Therefore, you are witnesses that you approve. Therefore, you are witnesses that you approve. You approve of what they did. The deeds of your father, for they killed them and you build their monuments. So Jesus is saying, look, you weren't there. I know you weren't there. But you approve by your deeds. Therefore, you are witnesses that you approve the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build them monuments. Because of this, the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill and persecute. So that this generation, so Jesus is talking about those people right then and there. He's saying this generation, you guys, not your ancestors, but he's saying you guys. You know what? <laughs> well, I've got the audio. So, so he's saying, because of this uh, wisdom, I will send the prophets and apostles, and some of them uh, they will kill and persecute, so that this generation may be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets shed since the foundation of the world. In verse 51, it says, From the blood of Abel. To the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary, yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible. So he's saying, you weren't there hundreds of years ago when this happened, but because of your behavior, because of your actions, you are essentially in cahoots with your ancestors. From way back, the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah. I don't know. That's probably over a thousand years. He says, this generation, the ones that I'm talking to, you, know, you guys, he's saying you will be held accountable. Let's go to Genesis chapter 7. Let's drop down to verse 22. Everything with the breath yeah, everything with the breath of the spirit of life in its nostrils, everything on dry land. So we're, we're in the story of Noah right here. And so giving an account for what happened after the flood came. It says in verse 23, he wiped out everything that was on the face of the earth from mankind to livestock to creatures that crawled to the birds of the sky. And they were wiped off the face of the earth. Only Noah was left and those that were with him in the ark. Go to Genesis 19 and verse 14. 
This is talking about Lot escaping from Sodom. Verse 14, so Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who were going to marry his daughters. Get up, he said, get out of this place for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. Now, this is interesting. I, again, it's one of those things that I never really comprehended or read before. When they escaped the city, the sons-in-law weren't with them, so they stayed. I said, man, get out of here. <laughs> You know, we're, we're sleeping. Get out of here. So they got left. In verse 15, at daybreak, the angels urged Lot on, get up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will, or you will be swept away in the punishment of the city. He hesitated, that is Lot, because of the Lord's compassion for him. The men grabbed his hand his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters. That's another thing that I had not ever read before. You know, the angels, they pulled Lot out. <laughs> you know, but I don't know why. I just I thought the angels came to him. Lot got up, got his family, said, let's go. No, it says they, they took him. They brought him out and left him outside the city. As soon as the angels got outside, one of them said, run for your lives. Don't look back and don't stop anywhere on the plane. Run to the mountains or you will be swept away. Let's go to Luke 17. Drop down to verse 26. It says, this is Jesus speaking, just as, it was in the, just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People went on eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage until the day Noah boarded the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. So Jesus is filling us some details here that aren't in the Old Testament. It doesn't say anything about people were just, I mean, it would stand the reason that that's, that that's what they were doing. But it doesn't explicitly say that in the Old Testament. So Jesus is saying, look, people were just living life. Because remember, Moses, uh, Moses, Moses Noah was, was trying to warn people. And they didn't like, get out of here. So like, okay. <laughs> Let's see. People uh, went eating and drinking. A flood came and destroyed it all. Verse 28. It will be the same as it was in the days of Lot. People went on eating and drinking, buying, selling, planning, uh, planning, building, so on and so forth. But on the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from the heaven and destroyed them all. It will be like that on the day the Son of Man is revealed. So we have, you know, the I never before you know tied together uh, Noah and Lot, but basically it was the same thing. And so people were warned, they didn't abide, and they experienced the consequences. Right. And the last one we're going to do tonight, uh, let's see, which one is that? 
Genesis 19. Let's go to verse 24. It says, this is after Lot and his family had escaped. Then out of the sky, the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, burning sulfur from the Lord. He uh, demolished these cities, the entire plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, and whatever grew on the ground. But uh, Lot's wife looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. Before I go on, this this doesn't have anything to do with this, but it's one of those things I came across when, when reading this and researching. Let me back up a little bit. Uh, let's go back up to verse 17. It says, As soon as the angels got them out uh, outside, one of them said, Run for your lives. Don't look back and don't stop uh, anywhere on the plain. Run to the mountains or you will be swept away. Verse 18, But Lot said to them, No, my lords, please, your servant has indeed found if if your servant has indeed filed favor with you, and you have shown me great kindness by saving my life, but I can't run to the mountains, the disaster will overtake me and I will die. Look, this town is close enough for me to flee to. This is a small place. Please let me run to it. Um, it's only a small place, isn't it? So that I can survive. And he, and he said to him, all right, so this is one of the angels, I'll grant you your, your request about this matter too and will not demolish the town you mentioned. Hurry up, run to it. This is what I found interesting. For I cannot do anything until you get there. So he could have run to wherever he was supposed to go in the first place. Yeah, right. right? If he couldn't do anything until he got, it implied he couldn't do anything until he got, until Lot got to safety. But I guess Lot didn't understand his value to the angels. And so he's thinking that this thing is coming. I need to get to the closest place. Now, I'm not sure if I was Lot, I would have been thinking any differently in that moment. But I just found it interesting that he said, I can't do anything until you get there. Why is that there? <laughs> Hurry up, run for it, for I cannot do anything until you get there. Therefore, the name of this city is Zor. And so I just, I just found that interesting, so I wanted to share it with you. Because you know? <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know, things like this are what stoked me to think. I don't, I, I mean, it just makes me wonder, you know, how many things have maybe we've been waiting for, praying about or whatever, and angel of the Lord is waiting to deliver, but says, I can't do it until you do whatever it is, you know, but you're not doing it, so I can't do it. You don't realize that you're in control. If you do this thing, then I can do it. But until you do it, I can't violate, I can't violate this. That's kind of sobering. I mean, now I'm all confused. Uh, let's see. 
Let's see, 2420. Yeah, okay. And so, the Nada Sky Rate. So, uh, the fire came down on Sodom and Gomorrah. The cities were demolished, but Lot's wife looked back and became a pillar of salt. Okay? So, let's go to Luke 17. Drop down to verse 31. On that day, this is Jesus speaking, on that day, a man on the housetop whose belongings are in the house must not come down to get them. Likewise, the man who is in the field must not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. So Jesus is saying on that day, essentially, when you are being summoned, go. Go. But, 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 go. There is nothing more important at that moment than you going. Now, I can imagine Lot's wife was running in, in, in a direction. And you can still, you can run in a direction and still look back. Right. So I think the word is implying here, you know, when you're summoned, go and don't look back. Don't be like Lot's wife. Don't look at what you're leaving. Don't look at those things that you value. Don't look at any of that stuff. It says go. Yeah. But to me, that's a hard word because you could, you say, well, what about, you know, what about my wife? What about my kids? What about, it says go. Don't be like Lot's wife. That implies drop everything, don't turn back, and go. To me, that's a hard word. You know, I've been married 33 and a half years. And this is saying, when I call, go. Don't turn around, don't wonder where Valerie is, go. Am I reading that wrong? And with that, we are done for this evening. And so we've got about um, four more scriptures here, and then we'll get into Jesus revealing himself uh, to the scribes and Pharisees and other people, uh, Jesus revealing who he is in Old Testament scripture. And so I'm thinking that next week we'll probably be done. Okay? All right, then.